Hey, AGs, are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic nonstick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. Don't call me a fake bitch unless you're ready for my real bark. Lawyers are trained to argue, but you don't want to pick a fight with me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we both went the don't fuck with me route this this evening. This was just like, this is what we're doing today. (laughs) I mean, don't we do that every day? Isn't that kind of our thing? Like we were having a little pre-show chat about the zero fucks vibes that we're taking into 2022 (laughs) and I'm really here for it I'm already really here for the energy of today's guest the conversation that we're about to have my god speaking of mentioning it all there's going to be a whole fucking lot and I have so many questions for you like (laughs) perfect dumb questions no dumb questions I love questions I'm here for all of it no dumb questions, only dumb people. You guys, it's Andy's Girls, episode 279. And you know her, you love her. <laughs> the her is me, just kidding. Uh, she's former prosecutor, who's everyone's favorite legal commentator, the host of The Emily Show, where she gives a fresh take on legal commentary and the news and pop culture stories you love to talk about. She is the official legal correspondent for Andy's Girls. Somehow that hasn't yet made your bio. And I need to I'm, put that on my website immediately. I'm doing it. Thank you. Yes. Would love that correction to take away. Maybe the first thing. Maybe yes. the first. We're, like we're putting Andy's it above ABC. Ape, I mean, always yep. be closing <laughs> here on Andy's Girls. Welcome back to AG, Emily D. Baker. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to talk about all the mess at Salt Lake. I'm so glad to see your face. 
and have a conversation. I have missed our chats, so I'm thrilled to be here. And I got a little tour of the lovely Clophis. It's <laughs> it's heaven. And look, I'm I'm just one of those people that lived outside of New York my entire life and watched it through Sex in the City. And I feel like mm. y- the Clophis has the beautiful shoes and the beautiful clothes and you are beautiful and I just I love it it's just so independent strong New York woman I love it thank you and as an independent strong New York woman just riddled with debt absolutely no credit (laughs) the only credit I have is maybe this podcast and even (laughs) that is sometimes questionable next next Um, opening is like my credit might be low but my street cred is high (laughs) you know what I just thought I literally okay first off that's gonna happen and number two I just thought of one in my head while I was talking that I've completely already this is how taglines work when you do when you've done over 200 is I'm like oh I got it lost it again you know <laughs> lost it again but something's gonna come to me and I know it's gonna be stupid that great one I thought of yes will never will never reappear um but I have to say you know sample sales are not what they used to be I have this collection I was talking to somebody yesterday who was joking about like, you know, you're going to have to sell a couple Manolos. And I was like, oh, I absolutely have. But that ship has sailed because it's like you look at the stuff, but I am so fucking cheap and also not, I don't want to spend money like genuinely, I don't want to spend a lot of money on a piece. I want a great, great piece and find a way to be able to get it for way, way less. So I had the pleasure of being invited to the Manolo VIP press sale every year, twice a year, where you would get shoes that, God forbid, you know, I would say, Mom, if you're listening, but you're not because you don't know how (laughs) to watch a podcast, which she's told me repeatedly. These shoes retail for like $1,000. Yeah. 1200 you know more than that and I can get them or I could get them for like 125 150 these crazy deals and because I'm a moron if I sold when I would resell I've I've gotten I've culled it a little I would sell it for the price that I got it for girl no like I know I'm so stupid but I honestly (laughs) felt like I was so fortunate that I want someone to be able to like appreciate I don't I'm not the more they spend money, the more they'll Emily. appreciate it <laughs> I know, see that's what people but I'm like the higher the retail the lo- but the lower that I spend the more so value like, project runway's own Christian Siriano has one of the best sample sales in New York a crazy sample sale guys just you know figure you know like you can get on those lists but they're not really a lot of those places are very corporate and the, their actual sample sales are super. People use the phrase sample sale and it's like, you guys, these, that's not really. That's not what that. this that is, is. Yeah. That's not what that is. Um, It's just kind of like a merchandise sale or something. But anyway, Christian Siriano's sample sale, guys, I, it didn't for some reason happen in 2021. It did in 2020. Um, I hope it happens at some point soon, but that's legit because his clothing is insane. So beautifully constructed. Like, yeah genuinely like shades of Oscar de la Renta moments, beautifully, beautifully constructed, but obviously like Christian's iteration of it and a different Mm -hmm. uh, energy. But those, I mean, that's like dresses that are well, you know, like 15, $1,800 for like 200. I've gotten her for less, like craziness. The New York of it all. Look, the Dan skin, uh, yoga pants I get from Costco mm. have pockets on both sides and I love them 
Um, here's the fun of the Clawfist. It's like I was talking to my beloved designer, Lori Lisi, and we were she was like oh we'll do a photo shoot in the claw fist once we're like ready and i was like first off adorable that you think literally any of this fits at this point like literally <laughs> absolutely adorable. but also i'm in pjs i have embraced yeah the pj 24 7 unless i'm going out and then i'll get fancy by putting on my beloved leggings and then that's it. But that's I. You're but the, it doesn't matter because you're surrounded by so much glam. It's just. Yes. It's associated glam. I love it. Guys, I'm going to do like an IG moment video tour something something. We're like nearly there. We're getting closer there. Um, shout out Studio Piccolo. It's it's things are happening, but not quite yet. Um, but it just means that when we zoom, you get to see the background. Exactly. All the colorful dresses. Listen, there's a lot of fucking colorful topics that we need to talk about. Yes, Have all. you, what are you watching? What are you watching actually, oddly enough, non-Bravo? Bravo or non-Bravo? What has your attention these days? I watch a lot of YouTube. That's going to be shocking since I spend a lot of time on YouTube. So I do watch a lot of different YouTube creators. Uh, my husband and I were late to pick up Ted Lasso. And so we just finished oh, it. So Fucking good. love. my. Here's what I loved about Ted Lasso. Not only did I enjoy it, but my teen occasionally would wander down and just sit down with us and just be like, I don't know. I just, this show's so nice. I'm like, it is. It is so nice. And occasionally there's colorful language and he loves it. So he just adored Ted Lasso. So that's our latest. But other than Housewives, I really do consume a lot of like YouTube content <laughs> and not TV content. Though I did watch all of Hype House and I hate myself for it. But oh. I was like, this will come up in my life. I hate that I watch it. I watched all of it. I binge watched like the entire thing. Is it worth it to watch? Because I also love very bad things. It's I like bad. bad things that think they're prestige, but sometimes like dumb bad stuff I can't get into. How would you, what was your experience watching it? I I came away from it actually really deeply sad about kind of the state of the 20-something social media influencer. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that, it, I think it could have pulled back the curtain even more, but I don't know if those creators would have wanted that because it's, I think they mm -hmm. pulled back the curtain pretty well on what it is to constantly be chasing what's going to hit, particularly on something like TikTok, like what is bigger, crazier, what's going to get more views, does the internet love me today? Does the internet not love me today? And why is the internet loving me a replacement for my parents never loving me? And that was like the entire mm. show. And it was fascinating to watch. So yes, I think it's worth a watch from almost like a pop culture anthropological view of like, because that's not a world I live in. I didn't grow up with social media. I experience it now as a full ass old adult who's entered into the world of working on social media. So it's interesting watching how that's being experienced by literally late teen, early 20 year olds. I mean, the oldest one on the show is Nikita Dragon at 25. And wow. Nikita was actually, the, look, all of you that are aware of the TikTok influencers, just hear out the full sentence. Nikita was actually shockingly self-aware during this entire show and brought a lot of, look, I participate in this hype house with these kids because I didn't get to live out my teen experience as the person I am. And this is kind of my do-over, getting to live a teen experience as my full self. And I found that almost endearing. God help me, because Nikita is such a controversial figure on the internet and leans into drama so heavily. 
but really showed a different side of herself. And I thought that that was really interesting to see. And then she would do nice things. And she's like, if you tell anyone that I'm not a bitch, I'll kill you. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm here for it. The thing is, I don't know who any of these. I don't know yes. YouTube influencers. These are all or TikTokers, really Instagram influencers. It's and I fine. One of them dated TikTok. a Demilio sister. Um, you don't really need to know them to be interested in the stories. It's more like watching an old days, like real world, where you don't know who any of the people are, but you're interested in the drama going on with them. Wow. Yeah. You do also. <laughs> and sorry, guys, I'm still in the COVID recovery zone, so I got that cough going, but. Um, you raised up you raised a point that I actually thought was really fascinating. The idea that people are replacing, substituting, or just attaching positive reinforcement from like a guttural subconscious perspective, replacing, substituting, reattaching yeah. praise they did or did not get from their parents with praise, positive impact from social media or whatever social yep. media engine or channel which is such an interesting point i i immediately think of the darker underbelly of that which is why is that why it feels so much more damning when people send you craziness where they're trying to bully you or really more often shame an influencer or a content creator online is that why sometimes it like hurts a little bit more because of that attachment where it feels so personal and maybe there's like a psychological reason why. I think it depends on the creator. What I found to be really interesting Mm. is some of the, some of the negativity that I get and it's not a ton, but some of the negativity I get mimics the things kids made fun of me for in junior high. Like, I don't know. I'm in my forties. Like, I don't know how that translated to being like, Oh, Oh, you're just saying the same shit that mean kids said in junior high. That's fascinating. But also I'm in my 40s. I love therapy and I'm a full adult. So it doesn't like the praise of social media doesn't bring me up and the negativity doesn't bring me down um, because I'm not looking for external validation any longer. I did that so long I got exhausted, (laughs) went to therapy and stopped seeking external validation. It was lovely. But it's interesting watching it play out in Hype House. And even in the D'Amelio's show that I also watched, it's a different dynamic. But in Hype House, a lot of them talk about growing up, being kicked out of the house at a young age, dropping out of high school, um, and really forming this kind of motley crew of influencers to try to rebuild like a family environment. And it's very interesting to watch that dynamic play out because there's an older guy who's kind of in charge of this content house. And he's like, I'm asking them to do things and they're just not doing it. And I'm like, <laughs> you're trying to get a bunch of 17 year olds to do shit. That's, that's fascinating that you think they're just going to it's so it's very interesting to watch the dynamics. So from that aspect, I was fascinated from the personalities there. I didn't know who a lot of them were either. I had heard of like little Huddy because I get, he dated one of the D'Amelio sisters and has music and fine. I had heard of, one of the other guys whose name I'm totally blanking on because he was part of the TikToker YouTuber boxing event that then spawned a bunch of lawsuits. So he's part of one of those lawsuits. So I've I've like tangentially heard of people, but my corner of TikTok is 90s music you might have forgotten about that you're delighted <laughs> to hear. People yes. 
people with exquisite refrigerators and people who give commentary on other people cooking. They're like, what are you going to do with that? What is that? And <laughs> and now it's people re- like like reliving their Encanto best life. Like that's the stuff I see on TikTok. So I don't know who any of these teens are. <laughs> I feel like I need to get on it just to lurk. I don't. Yes, I it's delightful to, to lurk. A tutorial on lurking. Like I don't even know with like the thing and the thing that knows what the stuff is, so they know what you like. I don't know. I love um, following the dodo on Instagram. I love myself a little puppy is yeah. friends with a kitten, and isn't that the best stuff? Yep. So. I feel like I'm primed for it. I just don't know how to. It's sort of similar, honestly, to when people who are new to housewives are like, where do I begin? It's, it's like, oh, where do you start? The universe is so overwhelming. It can stop people from engaging in something that they might otherwise enjoy or at least at the least start to understand. But yeah. it's it's hard to do from the jump. It's hard to do. There's a nice amount of TikTok creators also on Instagram. And if you follow any of them, I think the easiest way to dip into TikTok if you want to is look at who you follow on Instagram, start following them on TikTok and TikTok will be like, oh, you like this. I'll give you more of that. Their algorithm is scary accurate. And I started engaging in TikTok to watch how it worked because I was talking about the privacy issues and the Mm -hmm. other side of TikTok from my content. And it really can pull you down a rabbit hole and I can see where the complaints are if you start watching content that's maybe more negative or potentially more damaging how it would pull you that way too because it literally feeds you just more of what you watch on repeat I love the things I engage in on TikTok I find them to be entertaining and light and I really don't see anything else but if you started watching stuff that was like deep state conspiracy theories and it could pull Mm. you down that type of a rabbit hole or if you were just watching really attractive people doing dancing badly it could pull you into the kind of that body comparison spiral so I can see where there's problems with the algorithm not giving you a way out from the perspective of engagement how do responses or conversations from followers change um from the community of talking about content creators in the Instagram or TikTok YouTube field to Bravo Lab legal cases do you see that is there a difference do you think in the yes. conversation and responses that you see play out on your channel there is um when i talk about people that are I mostly talk about YouTubers um, and TikTokers only tangentially related to YouTubers. But when I talk about that, their audiences are different. Um, they're, that The parasocial relationship of people feeling like they know a creator and have mm. like ownership of a creator or loyalty to a creator is different than I see with most housewives. Most housewives fans are franchise fans and they're like, I like this housewife better. I love what this one's doing this season. But it's not like, oh, I know this person. Creators bring you into their life in such a different way that their fan bases can be very, very intense, either for for good or for bad. But the engagement about, like on on YouTube, if I am talking about YouTubers, the engagement is sometimes 10x what it is talking about um, other types of legal drama. And- what do you think explains the idea or the notion that for Bravo commenters, for fans of the and members of the Bravo community, that like emotional attachment isn't necessarily the entry into how they're communicating back to you or back to other people online, that it's more sometimes through the lens of judgment or critique? Do you think that's even true? 
I mean, how do you mean by emotional attachment? Like there's the idea, my favorite question that I always ask people is who's your spiritual housewife? Because yes. I'm the kind of person I actually connect from the personality perspective, from the idea of the intimacy of someone's behavior as an explainer for their psyche and, and a window into who they really are, broken pieces and all. Right. You know, like the focus is on sort of celebrating, understanding, translation, the brokenness and the and, and those ideas, which to me makes these creators interesting, although for whatever reason, I, and it could be generational, even though I'm this, the same generation yeah. of these people. Yes, you so are. crazy how that You're works. very young. So crazy. <laughs> yeah, very, very young, spiritually <laughs> mid-20s plus. Um, but I sort of understand that perspective, even though I don't understand those worlds. And sometimes in the Bravo world, people begin conversations less through and maybe it's just like there are only so many characters in which to express yourself less through the lens of like I know this person and oftentimes through the lens of like maybe I know this other person who I'm not gonna mention but because I'm like very connected to her I'm gonna try to fuck up right Leb x or y right. where it feels it feels like sometimes the focus is on the judgment of it. And I, I say that without judgment. I'm just being honestly literal, as literal as I can. I think it's easier to look at the Bravo Lebs through judgment because it's perceived that they have everything. They put mm -hmm. on more of a glossy, perfect life. They're wealthy. They're old, generally older. You don't have super, like, there's something kind of gross about tearing down a 16-year-old TikToker, even though they are going to be wealthier than most of the housewives that we see mm. based on how much they make now as social media influencers. But it's a different feel when you're looking at kind of more traditional married women with children and wealth. And a lot of the times the wealth comes from the husband, not always, or through divorce. I think it's easier for people to want to look at that and judge. And I think sometimes the shows were like, opening up these lives for us to judge it's like look at how these women live their life when they're going to the tennis club or going to play golf and it almost opens it up in that way where I think for a lot of social media influencers they start with like hey I'm you know building something from myself and didn't go to college and I'm just like you and they go more for that I'm just like you um connection where the housewives are not just like us and that's why we want to watch them and there could be no greater example, and this is a left turn, so bear with me. We're going. Of the idea that these women truly are nothing like us and the value that we bring is of being able to place judgment, be able to critique, than what's happening right now in Salt Lake City. Because yeah. it is of such a different world in every way, if you want to talk about money, but really the dark underbelly of where some of this money is coming from, where some of this anger is coming from, mm -hmm. that's at such a different point that it's like a subversion of escapism that keeps the escapism yes. moving. Yes, and it's not that's it. not a left turn. That was a brilliant segue. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, my God. We'll record again tomorrow. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know, FYI. But how do you process that? I, so I, I mean, I don't know where I started processing things in a more detached way. It, it happened before I became a district attorney because mm -hmm. as a DA, most of what you deal with is both tragic and very serious. 
and stuff that before you became, you know, before you become a pros a prosecutor, you're like, people don't do this to each other. And then you become a prosecutor and you're like, oh, it's Tuesday. And so it really pulls you out of seeing the world in a more normal way, I would think. And with Housewives, it's really a kind of detached fascination of why why is this playing out and what else is going on? Because we're only seeing the surface of it and there's mm -hmm. so much more going on in Salt Lake City. And that's, I think what makes it such a fascinating franchise right now is I think we're all feeling it and we're like, what is under the surface here? There is so much more. And we don't always get that in some of the other franchises. You look at some of the fights on Orange County and you're like, this is a dumb, but B, this is all that this is like your feelings got hurt. And you said this about so-and-so and, and it's an eye roll, but with Salt Lake, it's almost like New Jersey because they have history with each other from before the show. And that history goes deeper than we are aware of yet. And that's starting to bubble to the surface on social media outside of the show. And that's part of what's fascinating about it too. You don't, you don't get that in almost anything else where it's like, oh, we all knew that Mary didn't show up to the reunion. We didn't have to wait for it to air to be like, oh, where's Mary? Like these things are starting to bubble up um, throughout social because these are real people with real relationships and real lives. And it's real, real messy in Salt Lake right now. It absolutely is. And what you just referenced was so interesting. The idea that like their levels of friendship pre-show are now being parceled up or, or, or picked apart and critiqued and sort of mocked I mean Jen Shaw on the after show I forget if she does this on the episode she might just absolutely mocks the idea that Meredith and Lisa have been have had a 20-year friendship as if yes. to say like what what even was that friendship and so now we're you know viewers voyeurs talking about watching trying to understand the Jen Shaw of it all, the crimes, the crime be crime and with what she's doing, rumors about what Mary's doing, those, you know, from the perspective specific to Jen, the only person who's been charged with a crime, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, you know, but from the perspective of Jen, there's a lot to talk about here. And yet she's not wrong to also reference the idea of quote unquote fraud when it comes to questioning a person's level of friendship, which is usually the kind of fraud that these housewives are talking about. Yes, it, normally. In a normal world, it is, you know, people not being in integrity in their friendships and saying things behind each other's backs. It's normally a different kind of pettier level of fraud, not actual multi-million dollar theft from people. But Jen doesn't seem to see those on different levels. Right. I think she appreciates these as exactly the same thing. And that's what I want to know from you. How do you process this as a legal commentator, as a Bravo-holic, as someone who's equal parts in, in all of these worlds and so beautifully pulls them all together? How do you process Jen Shaw continuing seemingly to do exactly what Jen Shaw does for better or worse? As we all recognize the stakes for her are absurdly, abnormally, critically high. She's talking about, and again, I don't begrudge her for it, but she's talking about like a 20-year friendship is maybe not real. Yeah. 
and she's going to like federal court or whatever just to say hello like how do you <laughs> how do you process that what's your response to it i have a deep and abiding fascination for fraudsters. I loved doing embezzlement crimes as a DA. I found them much more interesting than like gang crimes where it's like, you're in my territory and I'm going to shoot you. Like there's not a lot of depth to those types of crimes. Like mm. I need money. You have a purse. I'm taking it. The The depth isn't there. There's some like societal things there, but the depth isn't there with fraud criminals that do on perpetrate ongoing crimes. There's a level of internal like detachment from that actually being wrong and they a lot of the time see it as I'm just smarter than the rest of you I'm just better at doing this than the rest of you and I see the world a different way you call it money laundering I call it smart business let's see who's wrong and I see that very much from Jen Shaw of the um, arrogance and confidence of you all just don't understand why I'm innocent, but I understand, and I'm the smartest one in the room, and all of you have it wrong. Meanwhile, her co-defendants that have pled are now saddled with prison time and restitution in the multi-millions of dollars. And though that's happening now while they're not filming, it the reality doesn't seem to dawn on her beyond, I might need to downsize my house I'm asking my mother to potentially liquidate her retirement to put up this big retainer. The reason the lawyers want a big retainer is because they know the government's going to seize her money. <laughs> they know they need to make sure oh. that they are paid throughout trial. That is why they need a retainer. She already has money that's been forfeited by the government. And if the government comes back and tries to seize other property, they have to make sure they get paid. Yeah. That's where the $2 million retainer is not crazy. I don't think I, I just thought it was because they were like, well, this is a big job. (laughs) Somebody's got to do it. They need to get paid through trial and possibly through post-trial motions. So they secure that level of assets to pay for the whole thing. And then if that, those assets aren't used, they pay them back to her. But that's where that $2 million retainer comes from. It's partly the nature of the case. A lot of lawyers will be like, okay, well, we'll start with like a $5,000 retainer and then we'll do a $10,000 retainer if we need more and pay as you go. But you can't do that in fraud cases because you never know when the money will stop coming in from the client. I mean, first off, BCC, Phaedra, and She by Shrek, because that was like a big point <laughs> of Atlanta of like, where's my literal $5,000 check? I yep. cannot talk until that is cashed. And then when I do, I will lose the case. Um, with Jen, hasn't she downsized her team since? Wasn't there like her big fancy lawyers left? She has since downsized her team. And that might... That might have been money related. And if it is, it maybe she didn't come up with the $2 million retainer and they were like, well, we've got to do something or you're out. Because she had a team, she had two teams of attorneys. It might have been that they said, this is the reality of what's going on. And she's like, that's not my reality. I'm done. And and found another attorney that's like, okay, if you want to, if you want to ride this to the, to the, you know, the end of the line, I'm with you. You have a right to go to trial. I don't think it's a, a, you know, this is me speculating. I don't know if their lawyer said that's to her or not. Like, hey, you have the right to ride this to the end of the line and force this to go to trial. I might not agree with you, but that's your right. That is your right to do. Other lawyers might have said, we're not taking this to trial against the government and going to trial for like a month plus. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. this Your other co-defendants have pled for a reason. And the other co-defendants that have pled have been, you know, tiered as less copable like less criminally copable by the government she's at the top of the tier her co-defendant her closest confidant Stuart, has given a factual basis plea 
he has told the government what he knows. He's given a proffer. He is going to testify against her at trial. So what is left for her to do? Because he's going to throw her under the bus and then hop into it and drive it. And that's what he should do. I mean, that's exactly what Stuart Smith should be doing, legally speaking. But it's going to be an epic shit show. So it might have been that she didn't pay the retainer she's been talking about on the show. It might have been that they saw things differently and the lawyers were like, look, we can't help you if you're not going to work with us. Why do you think she's going to trial to begin with? It seemed, it, it, it appears to me as someone without a law degree, uh, <laughs> surprise, that it's a terrible idea and huge waste of money and does her family such a disservice. I mean, the- why did Elizabeth Holmes go to trial? Why did Galene Maxwell yeah. go to trial? Because I think there's a level of I can convince a jury that it isn't the way that the government sees it. The government's wrong. This isn't fraud. This is business, especially when we talk about like Elizabeth Holmes. This isn't fraud. This is business. And I can explain. And I think, you know, Elizabeth Holmes testified in her own defense and actually did get some counts that were not guilty. I wonder if Jen Shaw looked at that and went, I can explain this to a jury and they'll understand. I think what Jen doesn't appreciate is that Jen is not as likable as Elizabeth Holmes. She's more of a spectacle on TV and not always in a positive way. There's a lot of people that like hate to watch Jen Shaw and then love to hate to watch it. Where I think when we heard from the jury in the Holmes case, a lot of the jurors were saying, we liked her. Like she's likable. Her dream was noble. But at the end of the day, what she said to the investors was fraudulent versus you know, Jen Shaw, where what's a jury going to walk away with? She wanted a bigger mansion. She wanted more of a Shaw squad. She wanted fancier clothes to get drunk on TV and scream at people. Like there's not a redeeming overarching, I'm going to change the world story behind Jen Shaw. There's um, obscene wealth and, you know, a facade of I'm better than everyone. From the perspective of spectacle, how is spectacle seen by way of her legal strategy and her legal team? Like, are they watching these episodes? Do they have to figure out ways not only how to strategize defending her against the, you know, counts that have been levied, but also the ways that she's behaving on reality TV, including when she's trying to explain away these charges? Absolutely. Because it can all come up, especially if she's going to testify. And that's not always wise. But I get the sense from Jen Shaw that she wants to be heard and wants to tell her side of the story, especially if Stuart testifies against her. She's going to want to clap back. I can't imagine her not wanting to clap back. I can see her as a defendant who has outbursts in the courtroom. Maybe she won't, but I can see it. Like I can see her being like, that's not true. I can see her losing her mind in court. Um, And so with the spectacle, yes, we know they watched the Hulu documentary because it was within like two days that they had a filing in court saying, oh, this is tainted the jury pool. We've got to dismiss the case. And the judge was like, that's not how any of this works. We're not doing any of that. But we know that they're watching and they have to. If Jen Shaw testifies, things on the show can absolutely come up. And I think part of the government's case will be that the reason she was doing it, because juries love a motive. They want to know why. It doesn't make sense to normal people that somebody would just steal money like this, that somebody would have a, you know, fraud ring as alleged here going on for this many decades without a why. And so the show becomes the why, the lifestyle becomes the why. And you can explain to a jury, they, 
she did it for money and fame. This is why. This is the why. And a jury that's even familiar with any reality TV can look at it and be like, oh, I understand where that that character fits in my own head and in my own life. So the defense has to watch it because the prosecution's absolutely watching it. And stuff she said on the show can be used against her if she testifies as a prior inconsistent statement. It can come up. Oh, well, you're saying this? Okay, well, on the show, you were feeding Stuart a banana and saying that he was making you money. Was that uh... true? Or is it not true? Oh, you're saying, especially if Stuart testifies and then she testifies and she's like, no, he was the one in control. He was the one that said this. It's like, okay, well, on the show, you said this about Stuart and you said that about Stuart and you said he's your right hand and you said he's making you money. And so what is it? I don't think we're going to see Stuart again this season. By the way, at post arrest, I don't think we see any of Stuart ever. Do you think that was Bravo make, you know, being like, oh, let's not let's not give anybody an additional little breadcrumb to gobble down? Or do you think it's like an evidence thing? Or I think that's Stuart think- and his lawyers. I think that's Stuart and his lawyers absolutely saying, we are not, we are done here. We are not filming anymore. You're, whatever money you're going to make from the show is not even worth it. You're going to put yourself at risk. I imagine that Stuart's lawyers from the day he was arrested were like, Okay, so this is all Jen Shaw's fault. We just need to figure out how to cooperate with the government as quickly as possible. And stopping filming is going to show that he's taking it seriously. So I think that all plays in his favor. The day they both got arrested, I said, Stuart's best play is to call the government immediately, say, look, um, I'll tell you anything that you want to know. And the interesting thing with Stuart is that, like, when they were talking about Bond or whatever, because I was on those two initial calls, and they were... Iconic, iconic. They were iconic. People trying, to figure, people trying to figure out how to mute. The judge was like over it. Like it was Stuart. He didn't even know that Stuart was there yep. until like an hour so, in. And the Stuart. lawyer's like, excuse me. <laughs> and the judge was like, oh my God, sweetie. I didn't know you were there, hon. Um, understandably, because yep. it was a hilarious delight. You know, what was so fascinating to me and to a lot of people when Jen's talking about the renting and the downsizing and stuff is like Stewart had actual assets in the he owns or owned his house yeah. in whatever way. I don't know about mortgage, yada, yada, but like he owns his house. Jen seemingly does not have any assets and yet she was bringing in huge streams of income. How do you explain that? Is there a reason for it? Well, Jen's also being charged with money laundering. So whether all of her funds stayed in the U.S. or not is under speculation because in some of the government filings, they talked about bank accounts that were out of the country. So her money, some could be offshore. um, Some could be held with family members, which is possible in cases like these. But if Jen had assets, the government could seize them. There's nothing to seize. There's a closet there's a rental. So I think she was spending money like it was water. Like how did Tom Girardi go through that much money? I I can't perceive of how people are spending, literally spending money like it's water. And it's like money comes in each month, it goes out each month and we're going to like keep it to zero. We're not going to, we're not going to save. We're not going to build. We're going to throw hundred thousand dollar parties and go on vacation and rent a house that has to cost $30,000 a month. And the, the money's just like water. And then when it all catches up at the end of the day, either the people that we've been generous to will then take care of us or that money's offshore or they really didn't plan for the future and they're going to be, the kids and coach are going to be living off of his salary in a much smaller place and Jen's going to be in federal prison. I mean, just have to sidebar. 
Yeah. I'm not going to begrudge anybody for having no, no. cash on hand. I mean, as I, as I point to a couple of dresses, as you I pet understand. your clothes. Yes. I, I understand. <laughs> but do you, with Jen, do you think that was like, is that a strat? Is that intentional strategy of like, I know this money is coming in, so I'm going to funnel it into X. I am intentionally not buying property because down the line, if I am caught, uh, is it is it just a genuine bad financial mismanagement or is it like criminal, chaotic, sort of organized an organized right. idea of the of of the impact of potentially being caught? My gut says it's intentional because wow. she the FTC has come for her before. This is the third set of prosecutions. Other defendants have been arrested, prosecuted, and put in prison over this same scheme. Like this house of cards has been crumbling for quite a while. I think Jen was just the last piece to come down. And so she knew what was coming just because she's already been deposed. She's already been sued for this behavior by the FTC. So... When I talk about like Erica Girardi, I don't have hard and fast, like this shows me that she knew. With Jen Shaw, there is a prior civil lawsuit, prior depositions, and then she changed the way that she was doing business to hide it better. She knew and she got sneakier. So I have to think that not having property is intentional because it's not how other people with large amounts of money behave. Others with large amounts of money buy multiple properties, rental properties. It's one of the kind of pinnacle and foundations of wealth in the U.S. And so when you've got somebody who's making as much money as the uber wealthy in our society acting completely different, there's a reason behind it. It's not just that she doesn't know. Because she's got to have a CPA. And at some point, a CPA is going to be like, uh, maybe a rental property, maybe an income property, maybe a property property. And yet that didn't And yet happen. she never did. I mean, unless she did and sold it before all of this came down, she could have had properties prior to that FTC filing. And then, I mean, Coach Shaw is also an attorney. Who knows if when the FTC filing went down in like 2016, they were like, sell the properties, go liquid, move the money, we're done. Um, though the government will dig that up if that happened. What do you think of Coach Shaw's response to all of this? I don't know if we've seen, I mean, we've seen him be like, yeah. we're going to figure it out. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I think his TV response has been very much the way his whole presence on the show has been, which is just, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But you would think he gets the gravity of this. And yes, she's going, she's going, I don't understand the going to trial thing. I just don't get it unless you can afford to lose. I just don't understand. I, I don't, don't understand I don't it. think she sees that she can afford to lose, but I don't think she can see that she can afford to admit to what she's done either. Like, I don't think Jen, I don't think Jen as a human can admit that what she did was wrong. And that is what taking a plea is. It is admitting that what you did is criminal. And I don't think she can admit it at all. I don't think she can. But you could explain away if she pleads guilty, she serves whatever, she does a TV special. Here are the reasons why I was confused. I thought this was business. Heather herself said she thought my business practices were unsavory. Maybe I did as well, but I didn't know that they were illegal. Yada, yada, yada. 
you can still figure out a way to lie about or or spin rather. I'm going to be spin yes. is a better term, to be honest, and be intentional. Like there's a way to be intentional with anything. And there will pe- be people who will support you with anything. Yeah. I just think isn't she her family is paying the cost for that refusal right now. I just can't make heads or tails of it. Yeah, but you're putting Jen in a position where you think she puts other people first. I do think <laughs> she said, here's the thing. I It's like, I don't know. I, I do think that I am gullible. I also think sometimes that I am so empathetic, but I'm, and I'm also even more than that, just genuinely curious and I'm just, I don't understand it. You would never put people through this. This doesn't make sense to you. Why would you put people through it? But when you look at fraud criminals, the fraudy, fraudy fraudsters, like a Bernie Madoff, it is not the same psychology. It just isn't. They operate differently. They do things differently. You know, we just watched the Maxwell case go down in New York and people are like, mm-hmm. how did these people think it was okay? And it's like, I don't know what shifted in their brain to make them think that any of this was okay and they were never going to get caught. But they believed that all of this was okay and they were never going to get caught and that is why they did it for so long and so boldly. It's the same with Jen Shaw, different charges, obviously. But she believes that this was okay Um, because in her mind, she's justified the way that she's doing things. And there's a level of arrogance that has to be there when you are doing stuff that could land you in prison for a very long time so that you keep going. I mean, if you had a parking ticket, you'd be like, oh my God, I need to pay it. Like, I don't want fines. I don't want somebody to come and put a boot on my car. Like, I need to I need to handle it. I need to follow the rules and do what I'm supposed to do. That's not how Jen Shaw is operating. She sees herself as above it, I think. There, yeah, because there's a difference between like acknowledgement and just disinterest. And it's like, did you know this stuff was wrong or did you think I don't have to care? Like, I don't need to. And this isn't me placing a judgment on her. It's just genuinely, I think that's a perspective that we all have in our lives about different. Like, I don't I have decided that I don't need to care about this, that like regardless of what happens, other people's I, I can only I just am not interested in looking at this as anything else other than. Do I have capacity or interest to care? I do not. And with Jen, it's like the twofer of like, do I care? But also, did I create this? And I mean, she's got her lawyer filming with her talking about the case. Like, it's just staggering and making fun and just, I don't know. It it seems like she is taking this all as a sideshow. And that's not going to play well for prosecutors. They're like, this is someone who does not take this seriously at all. And if she is convicted, which I think is highly likely, when the prosecutors get to sentencing, I imagine that they will say to the judge, she needs more of a sentence and more restitution. She does not take this seriously. She does not see it as wrong. And there's nothing to say she won't just do this again. Because this is how she's made money her whole adult life. And... She has not learned anything where you look at somebody like Stuart Smith. I imagine the call to cooperate with the government came very early on and they're going to look at Stuart and be like, he perceived this as wrong. He got pulled super far down the rabbit hole by others. He's worried about his family. He 
is never going to do this again. Like we don't need to stick him in prison forever because he perceives that this is wrong and the kind of rehabilitation part of the criminal justice system works. He knows it's wrong. He will never do this again. Like the man might never touch a, a telephone or a computer again. That will be their argument versus Jen who's like, the world is out to get me. I did nothing wrong. You all are coming for me and you are my friends. You should be standing by me. It's it's just a whole different way of viewing the world and it's wild to watch it play out on TV. And then to see her out on Bond get so aggressive as they're going on their trip with Lisa. I'm like, are Jen, are Jen and Lisa gonna go hands on? Cause it looks like there is a producer trying to pull Jen Shaw yes. back at the end of this episode. And it's just not a good look. I mean, she couldn't have gone too hands on or her bond would have gotten revoked, but like we know that she didn't, it didn't get too bad, but Lisa's not going to be able to throw down. Lisa doesn't strike me as a woman that is going to like get hit and hit back at all. <laughs> I mean, cause she a doesn't deserve to, but B, no, not the at fact all. that she was like, I'm disconnecting, I'm disengaging, but I'm standing up. But then yes. she's like, there's a point in that limb, that fucking, I was going to call it a limo, but it's a, a yeah, little the... family van. Like, uh, <laughs> shout out to Vicky. You like, send it, a family <laughs> van. <laughs> like they're in that fucking Salt Lake City family van. Yep. And Lisa is trying to disengage, trying to mediate. And Jen is coming so hard at her. And I still think, even though people have told me that it's not this way, I still think, like, how is this not a little bit of a performance? I cannot believe that someone is this physically, viscerally toxic. It's the the level of provocation that Jen utilizes and sort of celebrates from going to zero to 1,000 to me is, it's so hard for me to process. I have to assume it's a performance. She did this all season one. I know. The slightest breeze, the slightest breeze, and she loses her ever-loving mind. And I thought a lot of it was alcohol-related in season one. And there are definitely people who, when they have had a bit to drink, their zero to 60 is a lot faster than it normally is, you know? Mm -hmm. And I attributed a lot of that to alcohol for season. It was, it, and the potential stress of this coming, knowing that others had been arrested. I gave a lot, in my brain, I gave kind of a lot of leeway of the behavior of first season. I'm like, oh, I these factors together might make this make sense. We know she's not drinking on this bus. I mean, or... I mean, if she is, she's definitely doing it on the way down low, but she doesn't seem intoxicated. She seems full of rage and ready to snap the second anyone says anything. And Lisa Barlow is the one who's, this is what Lisa gets for trying to be, you know, oh, this is the season I become Jen's friend. And Jen's like, the fuck you are. <laughs> I don't even know what started that fight. I was so confused. I went back and watched it. Like, I don't, I don't understand what happened there. Like how did that pop off so quickly? I mean, obviously so much of this is based on the idea that like Lisa's not being truly supportive, but also don't you understand that Meredith isn't a good friend to you and also is being hypocritical in how she views my friendship with others. 
I guess, but I also have watched that scene a couple times. I just rewatched it before we started chatting and like so much of it is confusing, including Heather's reaction. Like Heather, God bless her. And I do die for my my SLC queen, but like gives a little Camille smile at one point and puts her yeah. sunglasses on. And I'm Heather's like, living for it. Like Heather Heather's is living, living for, for it. it. Heather, but Heather has been open about living for it yeah. in all of her little side comments when people are fighting, like, glad it's not me. It's like, ooh, what are they doing over there? Like the whole season, Heather's like, I want to be witness to the crazy. I I will poke and prod a little bit, but I want to witness to the crazy. I I really like Heather so much. Um, mm-hmm. I've found her to be so authentic and open that it's been really nice to watch her open up even more this season. Yeah. And also what I appreciate about Heather and how she's behaving is like, I actually like seeing her do things to fuck with someone, which is the only way to explain the way that she is poking at Jen, or at least engaging in this dumb fucking narrative of, did you tell the government or did you get a heads up and I'm like Heather do you really care about this or are you just trying to egg this person on regardless it's fascinating but I like seeing that side of her because it's not all diamonds and rosé I think there's something really interesting in seeing that we're all we all have different sides to ourselves and here's one of Heather's you might not have seen you know the shit stir I I'm I'm kind of here for it but as we're talking about the different sides of people um, the birthday party breast cake did Oy. not land with me maybe the way it was supposed to. And maybe I don't understand everybody's friendship. But if I had watched a video of my husband golfing with other friends and one of my friend's husbands had said, make sure your wife like wears a low cut dress so that the girls are on display for me to oogle, I would have immediately burned everyone to the ground. I don't know. I don't know how that's, I, I mean, I, maybe I just don't understand the relationships there. Whitney didn't seem to be offended. She seemed to be flattered, but I was horrified. The wild thing is I watched, I haven't watched all of the after show, but I watched enough of it for them to cover the boob cake. And Whitney's like, I did it because I wanted him to, essentially what I took from her response, and I could be wrong, was like, I did it so that he would stop talking about it. I did it because the number of times that he's referenced my boobs is like ridiculous. So this was my response to be like, well, you're going to reference my boobs. Get enough of it now. Yeah, which didn't come across watching. It felt like she was engaging in this and not responding to or placing boundaries around it. And I'm like, maybe she felt like she couldn't. Like, at what point... Do you have to maintain a sense of humor, which is the wild way that women's bodies are weaponized by how men view us or how other women view us, other people view us? Like, at what point can you say, I actually, like, don't want to – maybe it was a joke or I was – even if I was uncomfortable, I allowed it – to continue but now I'm gonna say you need to stop right you know what I'm saying yeah I wonder if she thought by allowing it once or twice it would be like I don't want to cause drama 
I don't want to be that person and maybe it'll just stop, but it didn't. Um, I think I'm more upset at her husband for not saying, hey, that's my wife. Because the vibe I got, and again, with editing, you don't know what he said. But the vibe I got was like, yeah, that is my wife. Like in a very, like, she's a possession. Look at my, look at my, you know, painting on the wall. Look at my beautiful hot wife. Um, and it it just, all of it landed with me as ick. And I... <laughs> I was I was kind of blown away that that's what was going on. I'm like, what is, wait, we're just cool with this? And how is Meredith cool with this? I wonder what she'll think watching it back. But she's just kind of, is she uncomfortable too? Because she seems to have had some work done on the girls. They've been on full display all season. And I wonder if that's part of her trying to, you know, re- refocus her husband's attention after they have had some marital difficulties, but I imagine after having marital marital difficulties, the thing to not to do on national TV is be oogling some other man's breasts very openly and very loudly. It's just not funny. And if that's how he's behaving on TV, how does he behave when they go to a restaurant towards waitresses? How does he behave in everyday? It just all of it icked me out in a way that I just might be particularly sensitive to because I've been the subject of my body being objectified, but I just... I I wanted to punch him in the face. I was like, this is gross. And I was sad that Whitney wasn't able to say, this is gross, stop. And I was more sad that her husband didn't say, come on, man, that's my wife. And then she showed up to the party in a turtleneck and was like, we've heard you. <laughs> we'll keep the girls undercover, thanks. I mean, and the idea that even the conversation around allowing, which is the the word that I introduced into this, it's just that it's the reality of what it means to be a woman where it's like, ideally, you shouldn't be objectifying my body to begin with. I am now responsible yes. to have to formulate a response and either a defense or setting that boundary and saying this is unacceptable in a way where I won't be perceived as not being fun or in a way where I won't be perceived as being a bitch or in a way where I won't be perceived as being someone that you can't otherwise joke with. Like the pressure always ends up being go- ends up going to the woman in the situation and not to the man to be like, you shouldn't be doing this to begin with. It is disrespecting your wife. It is disrespecting this woman's body. It is disrespecting your relationship with her husband. It's like, it is that fuck situation. And yet that's the reality of it. And also sidebar, how much of this is happening because he thinks it's funny for TV. Is that a factor at all? Or is this just being a fucking dumb? It may, it may be, but capital D. If, if that was, I don't know. I just look at it and like, if that's how your spouse doesn't normally behave, don't you be like, hey, that's not funny for TV. Like, let's not yuck it up in that way. It's gross. Um, and, and it shouldn't, I mean, ultimately it shouldn't have to fall on Whitney to say something. Meredith should have said something and stopped it at the get-go. And then Whitney's husband should have said something. But he never should have, you're absolutely right, he never should have been making the comments in the first place. And I don't, uh, the other jokes like, oh, you golf with your wife, ha ha ha. Like, fine, make those jokes. But when it comes to literally oogling her breasts and asking her husband to make sure she wears something low cut so she's on display for you is just so next level that I was shocked at what I was watching. And I was like, this is not happening right now. It, I don't know. I was just blown away by the whole thing. And, and I get that Whitney's in an impossible position. But Whitney's not afraid to put her foot down to Lisa Barlow and be like, you set me up with the caterer. Mm. 
And she shouldn't have had to do that either. So I don't, I don't know. I just hope that she doesn't feel that because she has a beautiful body that she can choose to display on TV when she wants to means that it's open for objectification from someone in their friend circle because it's not the same. And also, if she wants to participate in it, if she's comfortable with it, God bless right. her. Like, it's ultimately up to her. Like, if you want to, if you enjoy this and and whatever else, regardless of how other people feel, it's ultimately her body. It just so happens to be that in her explan- explainer of she this on the outro, she's like, she's talking about the fact that she thought it should end, would and should. And it's like, yeah. sometimes... Maybe next time, just get a cake that says, like, maybe we don't talk about this anymore instead of... Put them in your mouth? I mean, because he just now feels like he's being rewarded for being a dick. And it's like, I don't think Seth needs any... Seth does a pretty good job of egging himself on. He doesn't need to perceive... He's not going to understand that this is a light fun edible red light like he's not going to understand that this is the stop sign saying this is the coda on this we're all set he's going to think now I can double down and that's the difficulty and that's the tension wouldn't Meredith I mean be mortified like if some other woman felt that they needed to like bring a breast cake to your husband and be like you know here's a substitute since you seem to be so fond of mine more I don't understand not mortified or maybe Meredith is like Meredith and Seth are like hey we saw you from across the bar we think you'd be a great third and they're just hoping that that's the direction this will go with Whitney maybe that's maybe that's the end game is they're just hoping we've heard some wild things on Reddit about Salt Lake City maybe they're just hoping maybe that's what it is and I'm just not perceiving that that's the uh that's the ultimate play is that they're like forget it we're all just gonna be in it together I mean, speaking of plays, um, Jen keeps throwing out there that Meredith's having an affair as a way to say that, like, I don't even actually know what she's trying to say, except she wants to make sure it's caught on camera. Yes. And so I think that on the reunion, these marriages, I mean, I personally am, like, extremely curious about Jen and Coach Shaw, but obviously Meredith and Seth, it's going to be picked apart, I would think, right? It has to come up, but it's clear that Jen wants to put it on camera to be like, but Meredith's bad. Like, Meredith's bad, too. Meredith did this, too. Like, Meredith isn't great. I almost got a jealousy vibe from Jen. Like, mm-hmm. jealous that Lisa refuses to pick sides in these friendships. And it felt, it just, the whole screaming match felt kind of unhinged junior high to me. It was like, I don't quite understand what's happening, but the emotions are very, very big. And I just, I don't know what's going on and now people are standing up and they look like they're gonna fight and I see a producer with a mic back trying to grab people back as this as this you know family stripper van without a pole in the middle of it is rolling down the road it looks like one of those Vegas party vans I'm kind of here for it yeah and the party is Jen is screaming at people and also yelling at Lisa for not protecting her more empathizing with her more and no one seems really willing to respond back and be like, and I get why, but I'd love to see it. <laughs> like, what are you being charged with doing, yeah. but you're the victim? Like, at what point do you deserve support from friends when you're being accused of stealing millions of dollars from vulnerable people 
I get the idea of like, well, she didn't do it from me or like she deserves a friend, but also don't you deserve to ask her questions about that? Yeah. Like at what, like what right does she have to push this narrative after what literally everyone knows? Jen doesn't strike me as someone who's going to give a ton of grace to those yeah. around her, or at least the other women on the show. Same with Erica, right? It wasn't a, this is going to be really hard for me. I will answer the questions I have, but like, if you're out, I understand. Like it's noted, but I understand. And not holding that against them. I mean, unless down the road they try to come back and you're like, actually you bailed on me when I needed you, so I'm not gonna re-engage in this friendship. But if people choose to opt out when something like this is going on, I don't know how much you can hold it against them. And Lisa seems like a newer friend where you've got, you know, others that are like, I've known Jen Shaw forever and she may be guilty. She may be innocent, but she deserves a friend and I'm not going to abandon her. At least I respect it. It's in integrity. I don't always get it, but it's like, no, I'm just, I'm not going to abandon my friend. She might be wrong, but even people who are wrong deserve a friend. Okay. All right, fine. Yeah, she's really doing a bang-up job of trying to, like, bully these women into silence. Loyalty. Support, <laughs> but also, like, vocal. She's, like, yeah. trying to bully them into, like, loyalty and silence, but, like, being vocally silent, which is a new way. Yeah, you have to be behind me. Right. But you can't ask me questions. Right. And also, the worst thing that anyone in this cast has done is, like, hear that I'm about to get arrested or leak to a federal investigation that's been going on for like a decade or whatever, not the actual crimes that I've been accused of, which we're not going to address except to say that they're a lie. They were tracking her phone. Like we know that from the search warrants. How, how did they know Jen was at Beauty Lab? Because she had her cell phone with her. That is how they knew she was at Beauty Lab because the search warrants showed that they were tracking her phone. You know, I, I don't know why she, there's this narrative, but Meredith and Mary not showing up twice has people like, this is sus. And I get it because I, I imagine filming feels like this little bubble where everything mm -hmm. inside the bubble feels very intense and very real and the real world kind of just fades away. So I understand why close in time these connections all seem very big. I, I think some of it's tenuous, but it's a lot easier to decide that watching from afar. Just playing out one of the things that Heather and Jen and whomever have discussed, is there any chance that the like online private investigator, the person looking into these like electronic threats and stuff that Seth and Brooks and maybe Meredith and as we learned, Heather received, like, is there any way that that person found out that there was a federal investigation going on and told Meredith is that in any way a possibility or realistic I mean it is very very far-fetched but if the investigator is somebody who had worked closely with the particular agents involved is it possible on a very far out chance I guess tangentially it's possible. Would they then share that information? Probably not because risking the target of an investigation getting tipped off is too great. 
Most mm. agents do not talk outside of law enforcement and even sometimes outside of their own immediate teams about what's going on with investigations. However, if they knew Jen's business enough to knew she was con- to know that she had been connected to those already arrested, they could have made that conclusion that the business she had been engaged in um, was well, the indictment had already come down So at the time that those tweets were going on. So somebody could have said, hey, these other people that are connected to her have been indicted. If they had found the restraining order of one of the co-defendants in New York that Jen talked about in later court documents, they could have tied that together. If they pulled the court documents from the 2016 case and saw some of those businesses and really dug into that, people could have made that connection that it might be coming. But no one on this cast from anything that I've seen, are the ones that tipped off the feds. The feds knew they needed a smoking gun, and I imagine one of the previous defendants that pled gave it to them, gave them the information they needed to tie Jen all the way in, and that's why she got arrested after others had pled guilty. And speaking of the feds, so season three is like picking up shooting any day now. Andy confirmed Mary is not back. May her memory be a blessing. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah, I know. Biggest surprise there. Um, I need Mary on an episode of Hoarders stat i need her on a whole season of hoarders like that's the show i want to see from mary i want to see people going through the layers in her house and like processing whatever trauma is being held in all of those possessions i want that as its own spinoff show i want to know what happens with that closet organizer that she hired i wonder if we'll get that on the finale if not i hope that person didn't get lost at some point they might still be in there Chanel jackets that deserve better <laughs> but um I mean so, so much better so much better that the sad thing is like she wear that Alexander McQueen dress that she wore to Mary's party I was like that dress deserves to be worn and it's not being worn right now it's not it wore her not. it wore her um with the trial and filming seeming to strategically intersect by way of production being like we need to film as soon as possible how is that going to work with Jen being on trial, is she going to be in New York in person? What are the camera? What's production going to be allowed to film and capture? Do you have any any input into that? Any idea of how this is going to go down? Sure. She will be in New York in person. Um, she's not in custody, so she will be staying, I imagine, in a hotel near the courthouse um, or somewhere near the courthouse every day because she is not going to go back into you know, jail every night. There's no filming allowed in federal court. I imagine that Bravo will have someone watching the trial. Bravo, if you have not thought of this yet, your girl is available. I will come to New York and I will sit in the trial every day and watch. Um, I'm here for being a remote correspondent to the trial of Jen Shaw. But federal courts don't allow filming. They have sketch artists. So the only thing you see coming out of federal court are court sketches. I'm sure there will be a sketch artist that attends the Jen Shaw trial. I'm sure there will be other court watchers and Bravo watchers that attend the trial as well. Um, lining up in the morning early, waiting for a place in line. Apparently most of the media outlets had like task rabbits waiting in line for them be in ahead of the oh Maxwell God. case because it was so early that people needed to line up to get a seat. But it also depends on what goes on with the pandemic and if the trial date gets pushed, which can always happen if the rules change about trials and jurors. There was a lot of difficulty towards the end of the Maxwell trial with fear of jurors getting sick and wanting to quarantine jurors, and it was a whole situation. So if things continue 
as they are right now, that might be a factor in pushing the trial. So they would be able to, I mean, if they wanted to have her film on her phone, a confessional each night after trial, she could, if she wanted to, Mm -hmm. um, they could have people meet up with her before or after trial. I'm sure she's going to have glam for trial. I think it's ill-advised, but I don't think she won't. So I'm sure she'll have one of the Shaw squad styling her trial days out because God forbid you wear the same thing two days in a row. Um, Though showing up to federal trial super flashy when you're on trial for fraud is a really bad look and she should show up. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes kind of nailed the uh, contrite trial look with kind of basic blues, pantsuits, loose hair, no makeup or minimal makeup and just looking kind of fresh faced and um, like she's not a ruthless CEO. So if Jen shows up in full glam, it's probably not going to go in her favor. A jury will definitely judge that and could judge that harshly. So what can they film? They can film before and after court. They can film outside the courthouse, people coming and going. They can't film jurors. They can have a court watcher there who corresponds what happened in trial if they want to, but they can't film inside the trial. From the purpose of like production, how do you think they're going to be able to translate this? Like, where is the counter going to be? Because if Jen's doing a confessional every night, wouldn't you think her confessional would be like, this was so unfair, they lied, I will get the truth out, or this was so tough and I deserve better, or I'm just in so, genuinely, I'm just in so much pain and I can't believe this is happening, like, or they said this thing or not, I'm not going to mention this huge thing that happened. That's probably going to fuck me. Like, how do you, how do you do a counter to that when you're not able to film the, you know, like they love to do a little receipts throwback (laughs) and a timestamp and whatever. How do you do that when the process isn't allowed to be filmed? Like, are they going to have to bring in a fucking legal correspondent? I mean, you in but like truly how is this gonna work through i i or they don't don't. or they put up the they put up the black screen and they say you know this date to this date jen shaw was at trial um for these crimes the jury found this or that or the jury verdicts pending or whatever it is and just do it on a black screen kind of like when they fade out at the end of the season or they have and or they have the women film their lunches and whatever back in Salt Lake reading the news and reading an update yes. and being like, wow, the New York Times said this really crazy thing happened. And that's where you get, if not the voice of the audience, the voice of the reality in the room. They bring the reality blurb screenshots up on the, on oh the my screen. God. It's going to be such... I'm sure they're talking about it, and I'm sure they're making contingencies for what if the trial doesn't start, what if the trial gets pushed, when do we end the season, how do we tail it on, when does the season air, Um, because it's trial supposed to start in March, but will it is a big question mark. And how much time do you think she's looking at? Because I'm already thinking, like, is she available for season four? You know, like, how much time do we think she's really going to be looking? I know it's an impossible question. Impossible question. I mean... There's a realistic possibility because she is one of the most culpable to be in that five to 15 year range because the other less culpable defendants are getting in the two and three year range. There's other defendants that have gotten more and some of their restitutions are $2.5 million and I don't think she's going to be able to find that money because she can't liquidate property. 
Um, the money she had on hand at her home was seized when the raid and arrest happened. So I don't know if she's going to be able to bring a substantial amount of restitution to say, look, I can bring this amount of restitution to make the victims whole. I should do less time. Um, which is a whole nother conversation about our justice system and where money plays in. But that is a, that is a conversation for another day. And if she's, if she's assigned restitution, she can't play, she can't pay. What happens? Like if, if they give her five years and like $10 million, if she can't pay, they will take 10% of her earnings every month until it's paid off. And is coach Shaw, because he's the spouse like how do assets is that like well I, guess I don't, don't know how money, they will like, blend assets and that's going to depend on whether or not they stay married if she goes into custody or whether or not they strategize a divorce because that could happen too so it depends I mean we know that Teresa Judice paid off her and Joe Judice's restitution she talked about it on the show that she paid both of their restitution to just be done and she said it was a part, I think she said it was like a part of the divorce settlement. Like, right? yes. like he didn't have to pay her anything. Like they. She kept the house. He doesn't pay right, her anything. Right, she took was. care of the restitution. Yeah. Which he's pretty fucking fortunate that she was able to do that. Jesus yes. Christ. Very fortunate. And so is he. Um. Listen, you need, I, it's not even, and it's not even a question. I need you back during the Salt Lake City reunion. Absolutely. I need you back during this it all has to come up Andy has to go in on Jen Shaw he asked Erica the questions it's a little bit different because Jen Shaw is pending a felony criminal trial but I'm interested to see how Andy navigates that because Jen has talked about a lot on the show I thought Erica tried to be more guarded and Jen's like whatever bitches I'm innocent (laughs) Meredith's a terrible person (laughs) it's crazy that's the crazy thing is it's like Erica hasn't been charged with anything. Yes. But she's and she's been coached as as she should be and seems to be following some of that direction when it came to the reunion, maybe not during the season or may, it depends on what, you know, what her goal was to silence these people, to get their uh, alliance, you know, like whatever it was it, that changes the strategy. Maybe the strategy is changed by like the chaos of the day. But with Jen, it's like. You know, there's a video that Andy posted on his social where he's giving a peek of their outfits and he's saying, you know, I here's the sleeve and it's this fucking wild jeweled purple sleeve. And he says something to her and we don't see her, but he's like, I really can't believe that you wore this. And she says, why? And he genuinely as a guttural instinct is like, I thought you would be dot, dot, dot demure. But she's obviously going a different way. Yep, maybe she'll wear her reunion looks to trial. I mean, she people have credibly accused her of dressing as a bird for this reunion cycle, and there is an element of peacocking that we're seeing happening. There She's is like an element of peacocking to all of Jen Shaw's persona. Yeah, it's like look at all of my pretty feathers. Look at how beautifully look I'm shiny. I'm adorned. And Erica really. Erica really tried, or at least I perceived her to try to not talk about the facts of what was going on. Um, She was like, she was trying, it seemed like she was trying to acknowledge everything that was swirling around her and saying, this is news to me too. Please don't ask me about it. Like it is, it is all coming at me where Jen is like, yeah, it's coming at me. Yeah, this is horrible for me. Why don't you feel sorry for me? It's a very different Jen is like directly positioning herself as the victim. It's just a very different tack and it's interesting to see it play out on TV. It's very interesting. 
is there any world in which her positioning herself as the victim of this massive conspiracy will pay off for her legally? Based on everything I've seen in court, I don't see how that could possibly happen. I think I think it could hurt her come sentencing when they're showing all the reasons she hasn't taken responsibility and doesn't feel sorry. I think I don't think there's any good that can come from the way she's been talking about this case. And is there a way to argue that the reason she's doing this is because she knows that maybe there's going to be a tough chapter in front of her, but she feels like she will have a home at Bravo when she gets out? I think that would make the most sense of why she would be acting this way. It's like, if I'm going down, I'm securing my bag. <laughs> like, at least, you know, maybe I'll be the Teresa Judice of Salt Lake. Maybe I'll get a special. Maybe they'll follow up with my family while I'm inside. Maybe I'll still be relevant and they'll keep me around. That's a very, that's a very real possibility that that is her thought process. Because how else, how else are you going to support yourself if you go away? You know? Okay. You got to come back ASAP because I also have like 10 to 30 questions to you for you about money laundering. Cause I, I understand how to launder like the sweats that I wear every day, but like, I don't, Ozark has failed me and I (laughs) have seen every episode and yet I am so confused about like why money needs to be washed that you're coming back during the reunion. It's happening. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe before. And we're just gonna, we need to talk because I, (laughs) I have really, we'll talk all the ins and outs of money laundering. (laughs) I'm just going to put a disclaimer here. It's illegal. Um, don't think that any of this is a good idea. We're not going to train you to be a criminal. This is not the like breaking bad of Bravo. (laughs) No, Emily D. Baker, we started this episode by talking about TikTokers and YouTubers, people that teach. And I want Andy's Girls to be a place to learn so we can all do better with our laundering of money. Humble brag if you have any money to launder. Um, I can't get enough of you. Tell the people where to follow you, what's happening, what's happening in the world. The Emily show of it all. Tell us everything. I am all over the internet at the Emily D. Baker. The Emily show comes to your favorite podcasting app and YouTube on Wednesdays. I'm on YouTube live streaming Tuesdays and Fridays, and I cover all of the things, current trials that are going on pop culture cases, cases involving YouTubers, the Britney Spears of it all. Um, Right now, we have been talking a lot about the Elizabeth Holmes trial, uh, Mm. the Maxwell verdict, uh, Prince Andrew's civil suit coming up (laughs) and his titles getting yeeted by the queen. All that's that that's all coming up and a lot about Alec Baldwin and the Russ tragedy because that's another oh, ongoing right. criminal investigation where somebody's being real chatty in interviews. So it's the pop culture criminal law of it all. It never I mean, the Prince Andrew stuff. A lot. I just rewatched his BBC interview from however long ago when he's like. I have a condition and I don't sweat, but he's like drenched. And it's like, if you want to watch something, it is so cringe, but it's honestly a masterclass in how that interviewer just dragged him in the the quietest, most British of ways. (laughs) Absolutely. It was, I mean, masterful. 
masterful the power and influence of media in all forms for us to even see how that happened and to talk about it and translate it is a blessing to us all guys andy's girls patreon number one way to support the fun <laughs> take some of that money you've been laundering and put it in the patreon <laughs> just kidding i don't know she's like i'm the destination to make the money I'm clean the, i'm your new I'm your new bank in the other place outside the country. Ozark, really, you need we need to talk. I, I've watched every episode and something has gone terribly wrong. I remember there's a casino, so maybe instead of building that, you can give me $2 a month and that'll be great. Um, Listen, bonus episodes up now, an hour, almost an, a nearly an hour and a half bonus episode exclusive on Patreon with OG of the AG, Damian Bellino. Bonus app up with Tracy Morris see another app coming this weekend patreon.com slash andy's girls number one way to support the pod two dollars a month gets you my love and gratitude and thanks five dollars a month gets you two bonus episodes ten dollars a month gets you four and invites to special zoom events and you can join the premium tier and record a patreon app with yours truly right after you follow me on instagram at dame galley see some of the cloths that we're talking about the other stuff that's uh, amazing and unbelievable uh, and fabulous. Um, more of that to come. Emily D. Baker. Thank you for oh having God. me. I always love our conversations. I love I love seeing things from your perspective. I just I love our chats. I love being here. Thank you. Um, I can't get enough of you. Same. Official legal correspondent for Andy Scrolls. I am like, it's hard for me when we record because I'm just like, I just don't even, I just want to hear you talk about it. Like, I don't even like. Same. I want to just I talk just to like, you forever. <laughs> I know. I know. We need, we need to have a getaway where we just chat for four days straight oh and just get it all covered. We do because I missed you when I was in LA. I we, know. We I was so bummed. To, but you were so time, busy and I was. I was all over the place. Speaking at a conference. It was, it was busy, but if I become the official legal correspondent for yes. the Jen Shaw trial, I'll just be in New York. You guys, we need to start some kind of something to get <laughs> Emily D. Baker in New I don't even City. know how stuff like that happens. I might just do it of my own volition and be like, you know what? I'm coming to New York. Somebody will eventually want to hear what I have to say about this trial. Because I know in my gut she's going to testify. I mean, sweetie. Yeah. First off, I live in New York City and I couldn't have I have I am rich in time. So like I will be I will be hauling ass oh, yeah. one of those days. Um, but I am too cheap to pay for a task rabbit. And also I do not have those funds, so I might be there at midnight. Um, but <laughs> sweetie, you were just on ABC News. Why don't you give ABC a call and be like, um, hello, I'm great and you know this. <laughs> and I will have chat. to start shoulder tapping producers and be like, Hey, hey, hey. Why don't you have an actual legal correspondent that has watched the show sit through this trial? That's the thing. It's like we don't want to – we love the reporters. We we support journalists here at AG. But, like, to have someone who gets it because they're, you are a very – talk about peacocks. You're a very rare bird, Emily D. Baker. you got to be dialed into the shows. And the, it's not just yes. the shows. It's the culture of Bravo that goes beyond just one independent – franchise and that is something that requires a deep and unabiding knowledge that I have been training for my entire life because I have loved reality TV forever front like that you had me at the real world and yes. you know Paris and Nicole the simple life like I was yes. hooked <laughs> 
I need you to fly free. But networks not free is in compensation. We want real dirt. No, not dirty money. I was going to say we want <laughs> money that has been clean money. Because <laughs> I'm already thinking dirty laundry, which is how I think of cleaning money. I think it through the lens of like doing laundry. Which yeah, laundry. It's not the same. The guys do not put your dollar bills in the washer. I've tried it. That's not Nothing how you money happens. launder. No, it's not. That's not how money grows on trees. It's not by putting it in for 45 minutes with like a little <laughs> extra detergent. And I have tried. OK, so learn from my mistakes. Uh, listen, Emily T. Baker could talk to you forever, but we're saying goodbye for now. Guys, let us know your thoughts and feels. Comment on the episode on Instagram that I put up with like a sound bite and a photo and all that good stuff. Uh, and we will uh, talk soon. Bye-bye.